In a world ruled by emotion, where reason is abandoned, God is forsaken, and history forgotten, two brave men will attempt to do the unthinkable. Use their brains. Armed with ancient wisdom, they will bring light into our modern world. This is the Sons of Antiquity Podcast. Hello everyone, welcome to the Sons of Antiquity Podcast. I'm your host Daniel and I'm joined in the studio by my co-host Evan. How's it going? Today we will be talking about something that is not necessarily far away in the past, but far away in space. Yes, the Voyager spacecrafts and their golden disks. Here's what we'll be covering on the episode today. What are Voyager 1 and 2, and what did they take with them? What were the golden disks? Who determined what was on them? How did they determine it? Did Carl Sagan and the crew pick the right images and audio to put on the disks? We'll do an analysis of that. We'll discuss our top 10 images that we would have sent into space, and what would we send with today's technology? What music would we include? How long will Voyager 1 and 2 travel through space? And then we'll go back to the past, as we like to do, and talk about other ancient monuments and time capsules. Will any of them outlast Voyager? And then finally, we will ask, why do humans build monuments at all? Why do they build time capsules? So what are Voyager 1 and 2, and what did they take with them? Voyager 1 was a spacecraft launched from Earth on September 5th, 1977, 16 days after its twin, Voyager 2. Both crafts were designed to explore and study the outer solar system. Both of them studied Jupiter and Saturn, but Voyager 2 managed to visit Neptune and Uranus also, becoming the first and only spacecraft to do so. The probes sent back images of the worlds they visited, as well as information about the atmospheres, weather, magnetic fields, and outer rings. Once their primary missions were completed, both spacecraft left the solar system behind and entered the interstellar medium, the largely empty region between star systems with very little matter, but a lot of radiation and far-reaching solar winds. And they did this to send back as much uh, data as they can uh, before their onboard power supplies fail. They are still traveling out there today and will continue to send back information until about 2025. So that's coming up only in about four years. Since Voyager 1 and 2 were destined to never return to Earth or even return to the solar system itself, NASA included a golden disk on each probe. These disks contain images and audio recordings that were chosen to represent Earth and mankind in general in case the probes were ever discovered by another advanced civilization as they wander aimlessly through the galaxy. So what exactly is on the gold disks? And who determined what was on them? And how? The disk include imagery of mathematical symbols and formulas, diagrams of the solar system, a drawing of a human man and woman, various pictures of ordinary Earth life, such as people eating, a woman with her child, people shopping in markets and grocery stores, traffic jams, cities and skyscrapers, people hunting with spears. There are also images of nature and audio recordings of humans saying hello in 55 different languages as well as music from Mozart, Chuck Berry, and a wide variety of other artists. A NASA committee led by Carl Sagan took about one year to compile 115 images and sounds for the records, which were then etched into the surface. 
The audio selections were made like a phonographic record. Physical copies of most of the images were not included. Rather, instructions for how to recreate the images are etched on the di disc. The committee wanted to create a diverse collection of media that would show many human cultures as well as plants and animals and natural landscapes to give potential alien life forms a comprehensive view of Earth. However, to go against that previous point, there are no references to poverty, war, disease, crime, ideology, religion, or pornography. Even a photograph of a naked man and woman was not permitted because it was considered pornographic, which is odd considering the disc was leaving Earth, never to return to offend anyone ever again. And the aliens were unlikely to be offended any more than we are offended by seeing a naked dog, a naked cow, or a naked bird. Yeah, what if we saw an, a naked alien? What would we think? I mean, we wouldn't even know what we're looking at, really. Put some clothes on. <laughs> you hedonists, put some clothes on. Did Carl Sagan and crew pick the right images or audio? Uh, when the decision to include Chuck Berry's uh, Johnny B. Good was criticized as adolescent, Carl Sagan responded by saying, there are a lot of adolescents on Earth. I think that's a good point. That's a fair point. And I'm glad that uh, Johnny B. Good was included on there. And when you consider that song was about 20 years old already at the time that it was sent out, to me that didn't sound like, you know, a very good criticism. You know, that that was kind of an oldie already. So that wasn't necessarily for the young set. But It's kind I, of a random song to put on there. Couldn't they put Beatles or something? I guess they could have. Um, but I guess Chuck Berry was really like the first rock and roll, oh. you know, and Johnny B. Good is like Hall of Fame original rock and roll. So they thought this really needs to go on there. And it's it is a popular song. Like there are very few people who don't like that song. Uh, but as far as the things that we like and we don't like, the music and audio selections are pretty good. Uh, I, I like those. Um, they had a lot of classical on there as well as the, the Johnny B. Good. Um, they had images of cities and images of nature and landscapes. So I think as far as geography goes and, and how humans have affected the landscape and things like that, there's a good balance there. There's images of daily life. Uh, though some are a bit repetitive, like um, pictures of, of traffic jams. There's like, I think, two of them on there. When you have such a limited space, I, I think they could have maybe diversified a little bit. We'll get into that, though. Uh, there's pictures of the planets and moons in our solar system, the scientific diagrams. So if it wasn't already obvious enough that we understand science, you know, from us sending out a space probe, they, they could at least see, oh, okay, this is how they do scientific notation on their world, which is cool. They show cell division and growth of a fetus. And then there are some Ansel Adams pictures, like the one of Snake River and uh, the Grand Tetons, which is really cool. I think Ansel Adams was one of, like, the coolest photographers. I mean, his when you really blow up the, the scale of his photographs, it's just incredible. And uh, they showed a, a mountain climber as well, uh, like on the very tip top of a mountain, like dangerous looking, and uh, that's, that's really cool. Uh, the picture of rockets and the astronaut doing the spacewalk were also good inclusions, I think. Yeah, I think you had a pretty inclusive list there. I don't have much to add to that. Well, then let's talk about our dislikes. Uh, there were a lot of those, too. Like I said earlier, two different uh, traffic jam pictures. I don't know why they needed that. Uh, the pictures of, or there's a picture of Mars. That's pretty grainy. It's pretty bad. I thought that was kind of a waste of valuable space. 
And uh, the aliens don't really care about Mars anyway. I mean, they unless you know we tell them, hey, this is our third. I'm sorry, our fourth planet from the sun. You know, they they really have no special connection to it. So why include a bad photograph of it on there? And aliens would know about day and night. It's very unlikely that their planet would be locked and have perpetual daylight. But even then, you would have two sides of the planet, a day side and a night side. So they would understand that. And they show a picture of the UN building in day and night, and you didn't need to do that. You know, We could have just done one. We could take out Isaac Newton's notes on the solar system. That only matters to us. Um, and why would you include outdated scientific information anyway? Obviously, they would know that that we would have made progress and would have had, you know, periods of advancement. So I don't think that was necessary to include. I think that's about it for my dislikes. What about yours? I have many to add on. Uh, my biggest complaint is that uh, they omit so much. Yes. No, notably religion, considering a majority of people and a supermajority of all people that have ever lived have been religious. And to censor that is incredibly elitist. Uh, I suspect there are two good reasons that they could omit it. The first being that they grouped religion with bad things like war and disease, something to not include because we're embarrassed of it. Yeah. Uh, the second reason could be that that Carl Sagan and team hoped or thought that religion wouldn't be a part of human existence uh, when the aliens received the discs in however long, hundreds, thousands of years. Yeah, if ever. If ever. So that was just elitist in my opinion. Considering it's such a big part of our life, of most people's lives. I agree. They could have just had a picture of the Pope or something. I mean, <laughs> I mean, come on, yeah, one picture of the Pope. And my other complaint, another one, is why were there no captions to the noises or pictures? Because good question. Like, what what did they think they're listening to? I don't know. I just feel like they would hear those noises, and they'd be like, "What what the heck is that?" And you're like, "Oh, here's a volcano," but they don't know what a vol they might not know what a volcano is yeah it's yeah. just random noises like what did they make this in their sound machines to try to i don't know do something or yeah they might not be able to to determine what some of those sounds were even yeah, yeah they could have paired pictures with sounds or something mm-hmm. or a caption yeah i think they could have come up with a way to make a make a reference sheet to say this is this this is that yeah i agree and another thing is their greetings from Earth in 55 languages, also incomprehensible to an alien and to everybody, anyone trying to decipher what it meant who didn't know any of the languages. Yes. Because they say different things. You know, for example, one of the greetings is just peace. That's Aramaic. Oh. And in Arabic, it says, greetings to our friends in the stars. We wish that we will meet you someday. But since they don't know any of the languages, it would be impossible to even know what it means. Yeah, or when, decipher it. Yeah. yeah, all these things that they're saying completely different things in different languages. How are you supposed to know what that is? Yeah. Now, do you think maybe it would have been a better idea to do all of it in one language and then send a sort of cipher yeah. along? Yeah. Yeah, that would be good. Yeah. So they could at least determine what we're saying. and Put and it all in like w- one or two or three languages. Yeah. With some some form of communicating what words in letters meant. I Anyways, agree. That, that's most of my dislikes. So what are our top 10 images that we would send into space if we had had control? If we had been overseeing the committee in 1977, what would we have sent out there? And we have some ideas about that, let me tell you. 
Because I suspect that other civilizations, if they're out there, will be just as good at deductive reasoning as humanity, I don't think there's any reason to try to hide all aspects of our nature from them. In fact, it may be dangerous to do so, if we ever meet them. On the one hand, putting war and crime and disease and poverty on display for other beings to see may give the impression that we are not ashamed of these aspects of our nature. This may disturb potential aliens, and uh, I believe that was what Carl Sagan was kind of thinking. But I have a, a, another take on that, and it's that I would argue that being honest and upfront about the darker side of man's soul would show outsiders that we are self-aware and forward-thinking enough to recognize that any potential life will also have aspects of its nature that it is not proud of. Rather than come off as deceptive at first contact, trying to put on a smiling face, we should be honest with them. Why not? They may appreciate that. And besides, aliens will know that if we are advanced enough to create a spaceship, we must have gotten that far by brutalizing other species on our planet until we were the dominant race. I mean, there's really no other way around it. With that being said, I would have sent these 10 photographs. So, one. In addition, right? In addition to all the other stuff, yeah. it's pretty good. But if I could send stuff, I would have tried to include these. One, lunch atop a skyscraper from 1932. You know the famous picture. The man on the I-beam eating lunch while constructing, I think it was the Empire State Building. No safety equipment. Nothing to catch them. You know, hundreds of feet up in the air. What a great photo. And it just says so much, I think, about human beings. The execution of Nguyen Van Lam. That's that famous photo from the Vietnam War where the gentleman is being shot in the head with a revolver. Pretty brutal. But I think that is something that is totally missing from the photographs, which are images of war. And I know that the any other species that is remotely able to capture our golden disks and, and interpret them, they will have experienced war. Believe you me. Um, I don't think they could become as advanced as they would have to be without war. The Buddhist setting himself on fire, uh, the picture from 1963, that includes, you know, religion, but also this element of what is this guy doing, you know? This this crazy human has set himself on fire and everyone's just watching. I think it would give them something to really puzzle over. What do you think about that one? Yeah, it's a good addition. I think it would benefit from a caption. But Yes, yeah, yeah definitely. So that they don't know that, oh, someone just set him on fire, but he's sitting there so peacefully. You know, I think it would really make them puzzle, which, you know, that that's not a bad thing. Large gathering of people praying, uh, maybe praying on their knees like Muslims at a mosque or something. Uh, as much of the Sistine Chapel as I could fit into one frame, I don't think you can talk about humanity or human art without talking about the Sistine Chapel. Yeah, did they even include any art? E they might have. I can't quite remember. There were like 100 images. so I'm I don't remember any of them brain. being art. They should have then. At least include the Mona Lisa or something, you know? Yeah, I know they didn't have that. Yeah. And the Mona Lisa's not even... It's not great. Yeah, there are better ones. There are better ones, you know? But that's just... it. It's almost like famous just for being famous, you know, the Mona Lisa. I don't know. I, maybe that's just... That's just me. Uh, World War II pictures, like the Battle of Stalingrad or the Thousand Yard Stare, something that would show global conflict... Uh, Los Alamos nuclear test. I think they would be interested to see how we have harnessed splitting the atom. Uh, pictures of people with smallpox. That was one thing I think that was explicitly 
talked about and said, no, we're not going to show people with disease like smallpox because it's so, so awful, you know, in pictures. And I would have definitely sent that because, yeah, the other people looking at this would have diseases. Uh, the Roman Colosseum. And I would have included pictures of nudists. Why? Because I, I think that they would, like I said earlier, they would not be offended. So why not show the human form? The human oh, body you is mean, beautiful. You mean people in the nude? Yeah, like a nude beach. Like people just standing around. Oh, okay. Yeah, something like that. So they would know, okay, this is what they look like in their natural habitat. Just hanging around. Wow, <laughs> cool. And that's uh, that's my top ten. So what about you, Ed? Yeah, I liked your choices uh, because, I don't know, if, if it's a bad species, an evil species of alien that wants to conquer us or eat us or something, then this might make them think twice. That's... <laughs> Like you said, it's it's being honest, but it, it's also scaring them a little bit. Like maybe you shouldn't come here and get disease and get nuked and that's I true. Don't know, do all that. You that's have some true. some beautiful things in there too, like the art. But it's good to include the scary stuff too. I'm glad you agree. Yeah, it was really bad for them to admit it. I don't understand it at all. Yeah, it, it it's. It's sad also because those are the only two we'll probably ever send out in the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. And um, they're certainly the – like there's no way to catch them you know, unless there's a huge technological leap, which would allow us to send something out faster and farther than them. But as it stands right now, what they decided on is what's going to be out there, the farthest object from us. Yes, yeah, so I'd also include maps of the world. Yes. They didn't include a single picture of Earth or anything. Yeah, like like the classic – picture like of earth you you do like a map or a picture from space yeah you know they might want to know where we come from they would have no way to know where this where it came from right uh i think there was there were a couple pictures of earth from space and there is one in the moonwalk uh picture or the spacewalk not the moonwalk okay where the guys out there floating and you can see earth in the background okay Mm -hmm. but they could they could have done political maps of the world sure or geological maps or something Mm mm-hmm that would have been good. Also, uh, more natural phenomena, phenomena like hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis, flooding, volcanoes, mountains, beaches. They did some of these. I know they did a beach or a mountain. Yeah, and you see people kind of in like a rainforest, I think, when they're like showing them hunting or maybe they're in like a savanna. But a tornado would be really cool. Yeah. You know, another weird thing that they didn't include was farming. Yeah. Why wouldn't they include farming? That's how we survive. Yeah, and it's been a part of – it's been like the main – uh, job of humanity for like 10,000 years. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, why not show like a dude like harvesting crops? Or, you know, some cattle or something. Yeah. They don't have any processing factories for our food. These gonna these aliens are going to think they photosynthesize or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. So what would we send with today's technology? Uh, if So if we, if we could just send out like uh, – uh, two terabyte hard drive or something encased in lead and it wouldn't be you know we would do it in such a way that it wouldn't get damaged out there flying through space and it would be immune to radiation immune to getting hit and impacted but we would provide them with all of the necessary tools to make this thing work so long as they had like like electricity and we could even show them how to do that to power up this device and display it somehow what would we send so me I would send entire libraries of digital books, the Bible, Shakespeare. I'd send the Art of War, uh, some science fiction, you know, because I think they'd be entertained by that. And if you send a, a big enough catalog, they'll be able to translate it. You know, you send a Rosetta Stone or something, and they'll they'll be able to figure out what it says. 
uh, send dictionaries, send histories. If we could send digital copies of films, I would totally do that. Citizen Kane, we, Evan and I had a discussion the other week about the, the top 10 movies on Rotten Tomatoes, which we disagreed with. Maybe we'll do a video about that, but who knows. But I would send Citizen Kane, The Ten Commandments, send Shawshank Redemption, uh, maybe some horror films, you know, it's a kind of mix it up, a superhero films. Yeah, Psycho. <laughs> yeah, uh, they might be scared by that. But again, like you said, that might be a good thing. They may say, hey, let's think twice about messing with these guys. What about you? Yeah, it would be good to send di- digital copies if we could figure out how to convey to them how to use it. It yes. would be great. I mean, you wouldn't have to put just pictures of humans on, like, you know, like a phonograph or something. You, yeah. You could just send them a, a little hard drive. Yes. Yep, and they just plug and play. Well, you show them how to make something to plug it into and then display it, yeah. and uh, Or you could send a little TV with it or something. You know what? The NASA has a enough, big enough budget they could figure it out. You know, you put, put enough money into it, you could figure out how to make it. Uh, basically bulletproof going out there. But it's so crazy, the analog technology that they used, because it's what how the photos are saved, as a little fun fact here, is it shows them how to make little points, basically like how a, a, a TV shows it. You know, when you look at a TV screen, it's just lines of light. And so if you basically map out every line and what color goes where, it will make a picture, and that's how those pictures are designed to be replicated. So if they go through and they go line by line and make it, it'll show a picture. And so it's not like the actual physical copy of like a photograph that you would print out, you know, on those old cameras. But it's something that can last in space for forever because that would not be able to last. So what music would we include? Evan, what would you include? We need a much larger variety. All they have really is classical music and Johnny B. Good. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I'm well, a big fan of classical, but there is other music out there too. Yes, there is. You know, uh, if you want to include American culture, which kind of dominates the world stage culturally, uh, you would need to include some rap. Yeah, some I think you would. Country, maybe reggae, other lesser-known genres like uh, hard rock. Um, oh, well, pop. Uh, like Latin pop is is pretty big, you know. You're just from a, like an American perspective. I know there are probably some other guys I don't know because I don't really listen to his, like Hispanic type music. But um, there's Shakira, or yeah. I mean, doesn't Pitbull? Doesn't he do? I mean, he's not huge. I guess he's Mister Worldwide, but <laughs> which would have made him a perfect candidate for this NASA stuff. I mean, if he's Mr. Worldwide, he's representing the world. So he should have been talking to the aliens up there. But yeah, you, you get like Hispanic music that's huge. Oh, Despacito, you know, yeah. was just freaking huge. So anything like that, um, I agree with the reggae and the hard rock, yeah. some Led Zeppelin. I'd also say uh, the most popular song for every year or five years would be a good addition to see how our tastes change over time. And yeah. I think it's not just going to be this high-minded Beethoven. It's going to be, here's a Britney Spears, you know? <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to get into free Britney, but it just came to mind. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag free Britney. Um, I, I said that we should send, you know, uh, I would do anything for love, uh, take me home country roads, Hotel California, and, of course, uh, a fan favorite here on the Sons of Antiquity podcast, It Wasn't Me by Shaggy. I mean, if there is one song you got to send, those aliens would be vibing, bro. <laughs> They'd be jamming. Because <laughs> it's so good. It's so catchy. 
But that's that's what I would send. I mean, and again, this is with our modern technology, and I know they were trying to be selective back in the day because they had only so much room. And um, I don't know if I get to this little tidbit later on in the notes, but I think the total cost of each disc was like $16,000 and to have them etched the way they were. And they're gold, obviously. And they wanted to include Beatles music. Here's an answer to your question. Uh, they wanted to include Beatles music to get the rights mm. to put it on there. $50,000 they wanted. I, I can't remember if that's Atlantic Records, but it was an insane. It was more than both of the discs combined, and they said, mm, no. And here's what I don't get is, like, it's not playing on the radio. It's not playing anywhere. It's literally just a Beatles song on a disc that nobody no human will ever see yeah, again. No money be made off of it. Yeah, it's not like the aliens are going to be playing it on their radio stations, and they and Atlantic wants to make money off of it. It it's it seems so absurd to me. Like just give it to them for free. They're literally just sending it out into space. But that's my rant on that. So how long will Voyager one and two travel through space? Here's where we get to the antiquity part of this podcast because technically we are the ancient peoples right now compared to whenever this thing is found, if ever. I mean, it will go on for centuries, millennia, more. And we will be long gone. We will be the ancient peoples by the time anybody even sees this thing or it comes close to another star system. So in theory, the probes will travel indefinitely. Interstellar space is so vast and empty that it's unlikely they will ever hit anything at all. In 40,000 years, Voyager 1 will pass within 1.6 light years of another star, uh, the star is Gilise 445. And in about 300,000 years, it will pass within one light year of another star, TYC 3135. Currently, Voyager 1 is only 0.0024 light years away from Earth. So a microscopic distance on the galactic scale. So this will be a story that will span almost... Uh, unfathomable lengths of time. I mean, the chances of this ever being found are so low. So it's, low. It's even assuming that the, um, I don't know, that, that there are aliens out there to intercept it. Exactly. Which there's no evidence for. Zero evidence. It's I just mean, a, it's, a, shot, a shot in the dark, really. It's a shot in the dark in a random direction. Yep. That who knows if it, even if there is aliens, who knows if it, that tiny line that goes from us to wherever it's going, if it'll be intercepted, when there's an infinite number of other angles it could yes. leave Earth at. Yeah, and, and the and further out you go, the the a smaller percentage of the space you're going to be hitting. Yeah, and uh, it's so small. How are you going to detect it? You know, you can detect a moon, a, a star. Mm-hmm. You can't see. You can't even see it with a telescope from unless you're right up on it. So yeah. how are you going to detect that thing? Yeah, and if it's within, well. If you're getting this light years away from the Earth, how are you even going to know where it came from? Exactly. If they intercepted it, they might not notice the exact angular direction that it came from. Yeah. And they, Even if they're like one degree off, they would miss us. Yeah. And they miss the whole solar system, most likely. Exactly. Yeah, at that point, like let's say it's a million years from now, and it won't have even traveled very far at all. Like it's, it's actually embarrassing to think of how much space it will have traveled in just in even a million years. Um yeah, you would even trying to trace back the trajectory. At that point, you might have a cluster of solar systems where it could have originated from, and they may come real close to us, but they may not know exactly where from. 
You know, I'm glad they didn't spend too much money on this because it's like a waste of money. I'm glad they got more out of it than just sending in a probe out to aliens. Yeah, yeah, they got pictures of Jupiter and everything, which were more valuable than yeah. than sending that out. Agreed. You, I totally agree. You can just tell that these discs were made by a secular humanist. Just the way it is, like, oh, here's classical music with with one tribute to a black artist, right? And uh, <laughs> the token black artist, yeah. Yeah, for real. And then, oh, uh, no religion. We don't need to talk about that. It's not yeah. important. Just lots of indications. Yeah, a lot of red flags, right? A lot of red flags. Well, let's go back in time and talk about other ancient monuments and time capsules. Will they outlast Voyager 1 and 2? Probably not. But you'll be interested to hear about some of these. Because of their slow speeds and lonely paths, Voyager 1 and 2 will likely be the longest-lasting monuments to humankind that have ever been built. And if they are ever discovered, they will be our oldest and possibly our only surviving time capsules. There is a good chance that they may even outlast Earth itself. Assuming that they do not collide with anything, there is a chance they may travel for millions of years, if not billions. Stonehenge is one of the oldest surviving monuments at over 4,000 years old. Some of the earliest sections may be up to 5,000 years old. Little is known about how the structures were built, but we do know that it took an estimated 1,500 years to finish. Circular ditches were dug by Neolithic Britons, possibly using deer antlers. And wooden posts were installed, though these posts have obviously been destroyed over time. Hundreds of years later, about 80 larger bluestones were erected. Around 2000 BC, sandstone slabs were used to create the iconic structures we know today or other stones which were uh, used to form an outer ring. These sandstone megaliths, the largest of which weigh in at 40 tons and measure 24 feet tall, were sourced from an area 25 miles from the site. Smaller stones were sourced from whales nearly 200 miles away. How did they do it? Some say aliens, but... I'm not saying it was aliens, but... As it turns out, the high priests known as the Druids, these mystical people that everyone says built Stonehenge, they were probably not responsible for starting the project as the oldest artifacts from the site date back to about a thousand years before the Druids lived in that area. Most historians agree that Stonehenge was probably a burial site, but its other uses, if any, remain a mystery. The pyramids of Giza are about 4,500 years old, much larger than Stonehenge and will probably be around a lot longer. Their dense stone will take a long time to erode, even in the desert winds and heat. Uh, All three pyramids were built during the Old Kingdom era in a span of just 60 years and in 2550 to 2490 BC. Pharaoh Khufu constructed the first and tallest pyramid, which stands at 481 feet and contains about 2.3 million stone blocks, each weighing anywhere from 2 to 15 tons. Is that true? I mean, I just kind of assumed they were smaller rocks, but they're huge rocks. They're enormous. If you look at, obviously, most pictures you see of the pyramids are from far away, but if you were to go and, like, climb the pyramids, those things are as tall as you and I, those really? blocks. Yeah, because you got to think 481 feet tall. Yeah, I but 2.3 million of those seems kind of... It does seem like a lot, but... That's what they say. That's that's the estimate. I mean, and you've seen video of, like, people going through, mm-hmm. you know, the catacombs or whatever. This is – I mean, they're going for, for far distances through these hallways, and that's all solid block. It's crazy. 
But, like, what else were they going to do? There was no television. <laughs> there was nothing better to do. And they, when the king says, hey, build me a pyramid, you're going to build a pyramid. Probably because they were slaves. Yeah, I mean, that's what most people say, you know. Oh, there was slaves who built the pyramid. And they say, no, no, it was actually um, – it wasn't slaves who built the pyramid. It was like, you know, know, seasonal workers or whatever, you know, and they had water breaks and things like that. Nah, I don't necessarily believe all that, you know. And then there are people who say that that black people built the pyramids. So as far as we know, it was constructed for use as a massive burial site for the pharaoh who filled his tomb with wealth and personal effects he'd need to continue his rule in the afterlife. Very important. Whether or not aliens were involved, again, is unknown. <laughs> yeah, we don't know the status of the alien involvement on any of these. No. Uh, the second pyramid was constructed by Khufu's son, Khafre, who, who also ordered that the construction of the mysterious Sphinx be inaugurated. Yes. The smallest pyramid was constructed by Pharaoh Minkare, though the inner chambers were made to be more complex, maybe budget cuts. Yeah, who knows? He didn't have to report to a committee, so probably not. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the sides of all three pyramids are oriented north, south, east, and west with a fraction of a degree of inaccuracy. Many believe that the structures correlate with astronomical features, but this is not conclusive again. Yeah, aliens, who knows? And if you look at the overhead shots of them, I mean, dude, it is like a straight line, all oh. three of them. Yeah, it's really cool how uh, geometry plays a part in that whole area. An, an interesting factoid is uh, the the appearance of, of pyramids and ziggurats around the world for cultures that never had any contact with each other, yeah. building pyramids. I remember we we had a class together, I won't say which. We did. Where the, uh, <laughs> the, the teacher said, well, people say, oh, it's so amazing that all these different cultures built pyramids, but... How else are you going to build a building and have it stand up? It has to be big at the base and get smaller as it goes up. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty obvious. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also not I'm not impressed that the design is the same, but what's impressive is they built these monuments just for religious or personal purposes, not for any utility. Yes. It wasn't like it was a fort or something. So around the world, these pyramids and ziggurats will survive for thousands more years, maybe even tens of thousands especially if humans continue to respect them and maintain them. And for ancient sites in general, as long as they're left alone and not developed on or destroyed, they will often last a long time. Yes. Um, I, I happen to know that the great or that these pyramids are the only of the ancient seven wond- wonders of the world that still remain. I came across that on the, in the research. That's pretty cool. Also the oldest of the ancient wonders of the ancient or the ancient wonders of the world world, yeah yeah that another interesting fact is that the pyramids were further away from cleopatra than cleopatra is to us yes yeah people talk about her being being egyptian and technically yes she was but not not nearly ancient egyptian yeah they the ancient egyptians who built the pyramids were way older compared to her when she lived than than cleopatra is to us so it's like 2,000 years versus 2,500 years right right yeah I've also heard that the pyramids were covered in gold at the top, so they would shine yeah. and reflect. But of course, that gold was stolen. A I long think time ago. I think Napoleon may have, may have finished the job. Really? Uh, maybe I know he plundered Egypt when he went there. Maybe he did take some. A lot of a lot of gold. A lot of Egyptian stuff is in France now because of Napoleon. Uh, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, very cool. 
Uh, the Great Wall of China is another gigantic and pretty old uh, monument. Construction of the Great Wall of China began about a thousand years after the pyramids, but it is an impressive feat of engineering that spans in total, including ditches and partial sections, a staggering 13,000 miles. Incredible. And some parts are obviously more well kept up than others. Like you can look at pictures and some of the parts are crumbling and everything, but the ones you see that people go to and they walk on, those parts are being kept up by the government of China because they've realized, hey, this is a pretty cool monument. Let's save the best parts of it. And I think they have done some work reconstructing or at least trying to halt the destruction of the ones that are kind of in worse shape. Now let's talk about the Parthenon. Something back in the West. We're done with all that Eastern stuff. Let's go to the real cool places in Greece. Constructed in Athens, uh, Greece from 447 to 438 BC, it is one of the most important Greek structures in existence. The original temple of Athena was destroyed during the Persian invasion in 480 BC, so the Greeks decided to build a new one. Fun fact, it served as the city's treasury, as did many other temples, and later served as the treasury for the Delian League in their continued effort to hold back Persian forces. In the 6th century AD, nearly a thousand years after its construction, the Parthenon was converted to a Christian church dedicated to the Virgin Mary. I didn't know that. In the mid-15th century, the structure was captured by the Ottomans and turned into a mosque. That's par for the course right there. 200 years after that, the Parthenon was being used as an ammunition depot, and during a bombardment by Venetian forces during the siege of the Acropolis, part of the larger Great Turkish War between the Ottomans and the Republic of Venice, an explosion occurred, which severely damaged the structure and blew up a bunch of sculptures and artwork inside. In the first years of the 19th century, though, the surviving art was removed and transferred to museums, becoming known as the Elegant Marbles. Today, you can find them in the British Museum in London. Okay, even in the modern day, the Colosseum is the largest standing amphitheater in the world. Amazing. Incredible. Emperor, Emperor Vespasian began construction in 72 AD, and the project was completed by his son and heir in 80 AD, Titus. Um, a few more modifications were done under Domitian. The structure could hold between 50,000 and 80,000 spectators at a time, and it ho- hosted gladiatorial contests, war reenactments, animal hunts, public executions, and other captivating performances. There was even a short period when uh, small-scale naval battles were held there. This was accomplished by flooding the bottom of the theater, but because of the small size of the Colosseum relative to the ships that they had around, this was not common. Larger, more famous naval shows called Naumachia were given on pre-existing bodies of water or in pits dug near the Tiber River. Julius Caesar hosted one such event in 46 BC to celebrate his quadruple triumph. And do you know what his four triumphs were for? Um, quiz time. Oh boy! And this is a quiz I'm gonna have to fail. But let me ask you: Were they all done in one swoop, or were they like it was like, oh, he's done four great things. We'll just lump them together one celebration. It was all Civil War related. Oh, was it defeating the other two? Other two what? I mean his uh, his triumvirate partners there no oh okay i don't know it was gaul um oh i should have guessed gaul in the near east i forget exactly where uh roman africa where he defeated lots of pompey's forces and also spain where he defeated pompey forces nice so four different places where he fought battles in one 
Yeah, but one of them, he just had a picture of, like, I think it was Cicero just stabbing himself to death. That was, like, one of the pictures in his triumph, and people didn't people like it. People got mad, yeah, because Cicero was still very, like, well-respected, right? He just had, like, a picture of him just with his guts hanging out, and people were like, oh, bad taste. I remember you telling me that, like, a year ago, I think. <laughs> That's funny. He could have maybe had more prudence there and not had that. Yeah. He got too, got too big for his britches on that one, I think. But he, he made it through. It's okay. Now, wait, how long how, how long after that was he assassinated? Two years. He was killed okay. in 44 BC. So Augustus emulated this, having a 400 by 600-yard basin dug and filled with water in order to recreate the battle between the Greeks and the Persians. 3,000 condemned men and prisoners of war were forced to fight in the recreation. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't laugh, but, like, it's just so preposterous, the stuff that they would do in Rome. You know, we got a bunch of slaves. We got a bunch of prisoners of war. What should we do with them? Dig a giant moat, fill it with water, and just make them fight to the death. That's what you did back then. Some on a completely different note, uh, the the other monuments will be around for a while, but a must, much less attractive symbol of humanity's achievement will be around for even longer, maybe even outliving man himself, radioactive material. Since uranium and other nu- uh, nuclear elements may have or do have such a long half-life, the time it takes for half of the material to decay, it is likely that even hundreds or thousands of years from now there will be evidence of our nuclear fission capabilities. Yep. They put them in little, uh, like, caves. There's that place in Nevada that's full of the spent uranium. Yeah. Yeah, stuff like that. uh, Something that's been talked about a lot recently is um, how to put symbols on these containers these areas so that people in the future once language inevitably changes so they'll still be able to recognize oh this is dangerous to me i shouldn't go in here you know because obviously the time scales uh within the time scales that we know this stuff will still be dangerous to humans that's way longer than the time scales of you know human language changing so we know that languages will change uh, and some languages will go extinct so how do you mark these things so that every human no matter what age it is, no matter what language it is, they'll know this is a dangerous place. So that's what the scientific community is trying to come up with right now. Hmm. And it's easier said than done. Interesting. And should another civilization stumble upon Earth and find it destroyed by some catastrophe or another, there will still be dense pockets of radiation from our collections of spent fuel rods or melted down power plants, which may lead the aliens to infer that long ago a civilization once existed on our planet. It's also fun to look back at these things uh, or look at these things as time capsules, which teach future generations about the lives and the beliefs of previous generations. As far as time capsules go, there are a lot of them around the world. According to the International Time Capsule Society, which I didn't know existed until we did the research for this, there are anywhere from 10,000 to 15,000 time capsules around the world. Here are some of the more interesting time capsules and when they're supposed to be opened. A time capsule made by Samuel Adams and Paul Revere was discovered under the Massachusetts State House in 2014. It was buried in 1795 and is the oldest time capsule ever opened in the U.S. It contained newspaper clippings, coins, a Commonwealth seal, and colonial records. The world's largest time capsule is in Seward, Nebraska. It contains 5,000 items, including a Chevy Vega, and will be opened in 2025. That's coming up, too. Crypt of Civilization in Atlanta, Georgia. An airtight chamber 
completed in 1940, intended to preserve the scientific and cultural progress of humanity as of 1939. The chamber was inspired by the tombs of the Egyptian pharaohs and is intended to be opened in the year, wait for it, 8,113 A.D. Time capsules with the latest opening dates include one in Chinook Center, Calgary, Alberta, Canada, uh, opening on New Year's Eve of 2999. Millennium Vault, uh, Guilford, Surrey, in England, uh, is opening in the year 3000. Now, then, not much will have changed, but we'll live underwater, and your great-great-granddaughter will be doing fine. Evan, do you get that reference? Nope. <laughs> it's a Jonas Brothers song. <laughs> Uh, Flushing Meadow Park in New York, two different time capsules installed 26 years apart, both opening in uh, 6939, but why not 6969, I ask? Why not? And, of course, the aforementioned Crypt of Civilization in 8113. Now, here's my personal favorite, a film called 100 Years. It's starring John Malkovich, and it's sealed in a high-tech vault behind bulletproof glass and is scheduled to premiere on November 18th, 2115 when the vault will automatically open. I intend to be wheelchaired into the theater at the ripe old age of 121 to see this film. So buy your tickets now. I'm buying mine now. I'm going to go see this movie. Now, uh, why do humans even build monuments, and why do we build time capsules? What do you think? Well, the monument thing, I think you touched on it earlier. It's uh, a lot of it, most of it, for religious reasons, whether it's some of the temple's south of the border where they would do human sacrifices or it's the Egyptians building it as a, you know, as a way to bury their leaders, the pharaohs, or any of these other places where it's just sort of a a tribute to the gods themselves and, and doing the will of God or the gods. And that's definitely the main reason why we do that. Now, as far as time capsules... I think we just have a, there's a certain novelty about it. Humans like to learn about the quaint little things that went on in life and that were part of life uh, in years past, even centuries past. And uh, we just enjoy that type of thing. It's it's the little things that matter a lot to us. And that's what you can hide and, and keep safe in a time capsule. And we just like the novelty of it, I think. There's just something something really human about it. It's, it's just like reaching, actually reaching out and being able to touch and hold something that people held a long, long time ago. It's something special about it. What about you? You know, I think monuments are not self-centered, but time capsules are pretty narcissistic. Like, oh, we're doing great. We want you to know what we did in the future. We want to be remembered for all of our stuff. And they're kind of cool, I guess. Mm-hmm. I've never been... You know, privy to one, but you never made one. Nope. Maybe we should for this for this podcast. So the, the official Sons of Antiquity time capsule. It'll maybe be a, a monument in the future, and people will will flock to it on the day that it's supposed to be unearthed. Even better, we'll just have a podcast episode that we release in fifty years when we're huge. <laughs> That's a really good idea. Let's do it. And we'll yeah, let's do it, and we'll we'll figure out a way to save it. On a, on a, I say a thumb drive, but honestly, in 50 years, that may be obsolete. You know, people thought, oh, VHS, never going to get better than this. And now you, you couldn't even, if we had buried a VHS, we wouldn't be able to watch it now, probably. We'd have to go to some specialty place in order to watch it. 
but I think it might be safe that USB technology will be around for a little bit. So maybe we could try that. I, I would like to do that. I think that's a funny, cool idea. Let's let's do it. Anything more you want to add to that about time capsules? I think we've covered it. All right. So what are the takeaways? Everyone has a different idea about what represents humanity. That's pretty obvious. Despite this, the human race has managed to cooperate to an amazing degree and has managed to build some really incredible things, many of which... Uh, will still be around for thousands of years. Voyager 1 and 2 are the farthest reaching man-made objects to date and may always be. No matter what happens to mankind on Earth, there will always be evidence that we were here. It may be buried under the Earth or lost in the stars, but it will be here. Now, here are some lingering questions. Will Voyager 1 and 2 ever be intercepted? What will the aliens think of us if they do intercept it? Well, I think we already talked about how it's unlikely they'll be intercepted. But what will they think of us? I don't know. I think that depends on their predisposition or, or you know, how, how they are. I think they'll see a lot of similarities. I think they won't be able to help but see, you know, real, real recognize real, I think, at the end of the day. And the aliens will realize that we're pretty real dudes. We, we did it. You know, we sent something out there. And if, if only for a minute that we just, like, we're a flash in the pan, uh, still, it's— They'll, I think, have a lot of respect for that. I would hope. What about you? I just don't think they'll ever be intercepted, so I won't answer the second part. You don't think, even if they were, you don't think it'd be like Independence Day? They come and they just destroy us and shoot you know, it lasers? Does, it does bring up an interesting question because I was on their website, uh, the official website for these discs. Oh, I thought you meant for the aliens. No. Oh, dang. <laughs> and uh, it had a an FAQ section. One of the questions was like, aren't you just inviting our invaders to come here and kill us or eat us or whatever? And they said, while most scientists applauded our effort, there were some detractors, like some Nobel laureate actually came forward and criticized it for that reason. Like you're, a bad you're, idea. Like you're inviting people, you're inviting these superior aliens to come and conquer and kill us. Mm. But their response on the website was, we already send out so much radiation through our technology that they would already know we're here. Yeah, our radio if they waves. Were, if they were privy to us. Yeah, they, they've been propagating out there for a while. Way faster and way farther than, than anything that yeah. we can send out. I don't even know why, why we'd want to talk to these aliens. We're doing okay. We don't need to talk to these. It's just more risk to our existence. I guess so. But if we're able to talk to them via signals and there's no physical way for us to travel through, that we're pretty safe. That's assuming that there's no physical way that we can come up with or they can come up with to travel faster than light. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's really anything to worry about. I, I, you know, the idea of, oh, the mothership comes here and it destroys us, that's science fiction. I, I don't think there's a – realistically, I don't think there's actually a way to travel faster than light, sadly. As much as I'd like to hope for that and believe that, I just don't think it's possible. So even if we get in contact with them, they're 100 light years away. The threat to us is zero, absolute zero of them coming over here. So it would just be an interesting way to have pen pals across the galaxy, you know, and that would be cool from a scientific perspective, I think. You know, no different than studying biology, learning about different species. It'd be the same thing to me. Now, if we figure out how to travel faster than light, as I said, was just impossible, but maybe it is possible. If we can go that fast, do we leave the probes alone? Or do we capture them, bring them back as artifacts in a museum, and send out larger, faster, more complex time capsules in their place? 
What do you think we would do? I, I don't think it'd be worth it to go capture them. Just let them keep going out there. That's what I think. Yeah. And just send new ones out if you really want to keep wasting money on it. You know, send, send probes out to do actual science and not try to intercept some imaginary, you know, organisms that we'll never find. Yeah. You know what I just kind of thought of? Have you ever seen 2001 A Space Odyssey? No, I haven't actually. Okay. Kind of strange movie, but there's a scene where they they go to the moon and they find this thing on the moon. It's called the monolith. It's like this jet black like structure. It's like maybe 10 feet tall, you know, about two feet wide or whatever. It's just a prism, perfect prism. And it's like, it's so uncanny. It's like, why is this here? What is it doing? And there's all this real haunting music around it, you know, like people going, oh, like in the background. It's very, very creepy. And um, that would be, I think, a more a better use of our time to put objects out there on planets already that are obviously man-made as like a signpost to say, we were here this way to Earth, you know? Because you're more likely to find a planet than you are a, a probe flying out there, right? So mm-hmm. if, you, if we're saying like, okay, we want people to find us, well, as a lot of time goes by, they're not going to know where we're at. So we have to kind of give them directions. So what if we just used our technology if we're able to go that fast and plant a flag on every planet we see? And make it send out a signal and it says this way to Earth, you know, because if at that point we'd be masters of the universe. If we could travel faster than light, we could go anywhere, do anything, mine anything, get any resources we wanted. We could basically take over. It could be electronic and send out radio radiation signals. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I think that would be a better use of our time than a probe that could that may or may not hit anybody. Put it on the planets that are already there that people can already detect and explore. And maybe if they explore them, they'll find these things and say, hey, maybe there's more of these out there. It's kind of like, uh, you know, if you're stuck, if you're in a survival situation out by yourself in the woods, what are you supposed to do? Like, if, if people are going to come get you, what what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to stay put. Stay put, and you find, like, the biggest, most noteworthy tree, and you just cling to it. Nice, yeah. Same I- thing. That's, that's a good point you made about the planets. People aren't going to just travel through empty space and just, like, looking for something. Yeah. They go to big objects. Mm-hmm. So that's a good point. Yeah. Another question is, uh, are we alone in the universe? As far as other species. As far as non-earthly friends. Yeah. Probably. In the in the reachable universe. Yeah, I, I, I can almost guarantee you that they're out there. The probability of them not being out there is lower than the probability of them being out there. But where? They're probably in like a galaxy a million light years away. Actually, maybe even more than that. So they may be in a completely unreachable place in space, even if we were able to travel at light speed, even if we were able to travel faster than light. You know, how much faster can we go? Who knows? But I don't think we could ever reach out there. The amount of energy it would take, in theory, would just be so massive that we would never be able to reach them. So even if there's only one other... A creature like us and that's advanced in our own galaxy are we going to be able to reach them no so effectively we are alone i think whatever happened to only believing in things that you could sense well i'm just saying probability wise i mean we know how many planets are out there and stars like we know that give me the physical proof as the atheists say oh i'm not saying they are out there but i'm saying there is a high probability i've never seen them They've never visited me. They never probed me, I promise. 
Um, and, but I just, just think that statistically speaking, it is very unlikely that there is literally no one. And I mean no one, like in the entire universe. We got to think there's like billions of galaxies. And in those galaxies, billions of stars. What are the chances that life didn't happen on any one of them except for ours? We know it happened once. We're here. So it, it happened again. Almost guaranteed. I don't have proof, but it's almost guaranteed. Now, they're probably on the other side of the universe, and we will never know they even existed. They will never know we existed. But they're probably out there. The chances of them not being out there are super low. Show me the Carfax. <laughs> All right. And the final question is, when will this podcast go back to talking about history and stuff? Next episode. Yeah, next and episode. And to give a hint on what we're going to be talking about, there are a few things in life that are inevitable. Um, all of them are undesirable. You could <laughs> say we're going to talk about one of those things. And no, it's not death. Nope. That'll be another episode. Yeah. Uh, this next one is going to be a lot of numbers. A lot of numbers. I th- I hope you'll have fun listening to it, though. We put a lot of work into it. and um, Yeah, but then again, I hope it doesn't make you suicidal. I mean, just the thought of all this, of paying all this money back. <laughs> Hey, don't give more. I won't give any away, but it's going to make you a little depressed, I think. I mean, number crunching is all fun and games until you realize what's at stake. But enough enough said, I guess. Enough said. Anything else you want to add, sir? No. All right. Well, that's all for today's show. Join us again next time for even more Ancient Wisdom.